0: Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. If you would join with me in your Bible that you brought with you, or your Bible app, or the Pew Bible in front of you, our text today comes from Matthew's Gospel, the 5th chapter, verses 21 through 37. Hear with me now the words of the Lord. You have heard it said that it was in ancient times that you shall not murder. Whoever murders should be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or a sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or a sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you will liable to the hell of fire. So, when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and sister, then come to offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and the guard will throw you in prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone that looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell." And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery." And again, you have heard it said in ancient times that you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows that you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for that is the throne of God, or by the earth, for that is its footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, yes or no, no, anything more than this comes from the evil one. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Oh, holy God, still our hearts, calm our anxiety, settle our fear, so that we may hear your words clearly to us today. So that in hearing your words clearly to us, that when we think about them in our lives, and that we might be changed, so that we would leave this place not as mere hearers of your words, but as doers of your words. In your Son's holy name we pray, amen. So the concept of rules is something that we all live by, whether we like them or not. I mean, rules sort of help keep things in order, whether it's a group or society or even maybe a congregation. Rules help explain how something operates or how it's played, say, for example, a game. Rules exist often to protect us. Yet invariably, when a new set of rules is created or imposed upon a situation, one of three things happens. One, people chafe and fuss over the rules. For example, maybe if you were working in a company that was sort of really wide open as to when you had to come to work or when you had to do your work, and all of a sudden they mandated hours of work. If that was your case, you probably fussed about that, chafed it a little bit, that they told you you had to be at work at 9 a.m., and you had to stay till 5. The second thing people try besides, but the second thing that happens besides chafing and fussing is sometimes people try to figure out a way around the rules. They look for the loopholes, For example, back to this office hours thing. Well, you didn't say I had to work in the office. And so this assumption is, no, you said it worked from 9 to 5. I could do it anywhere. Or then you get the third option. People just ignore the rules. I mean, be honest. How many of you play the board game Monopoly by all the rules? I mean, do you really? Really? I mean, how many of you play this game and you mortgage a property, do you pay back the 10% like it says? I'm proud of you. You know who you are. And the rest of you, there's no judgment there because, again, it's just a board game, right? But sometimes when it comes to rules, sometimes there's this really weird thing that happens when a set of rules is put in place. Sometimes, every so often, someone says... Can we make them more restrictive? It's not often, but it happens. And I have proof of this. When I first started out in youth ministry and was working at church, we had this sort of rule that we went on retreats that there was a defined bedtime when the youth had to be in their rooms, in their beds, with the lights out. Now, with a group of middle schoolers, you know, that was like 1030 on a Friday night, 1030 on a Saturday night. What they didn't know is that Glenn Kinken had one rule of youth ministry on a middle school retreat. On Saturday, the rule was from the time that they got up until the time they went to bed, run them, run them, run them, run them, and then run them some more. If you know anything about middle schoolers, the more energy you can get out of them during the day, the longer they'll sleep at night, and you can actually get some sleep too. So we would always tell these kids that 10:30 is your bedtime. And so we would start that day with the run them, run them, run them philosophy. And I can tell you the number of retreats, everyone, like 90% of them, that there was a group of middle school, it was always boys, but everyone so it was the girls too, that they were coming to me at 7:30 after dinner almost with tears in their eyes. Do we have to stay up till 1030? Can't we go to bed now? Absolutely go to bed. <laughs> Or there was this other one where we were doing some policy work, and we were developing a child protection policy to use at the church. And so all of this, when churches began to look at this, the rule of thumb was always two adults with a group of kids. Always looking at your ratios, the number of adults to the number of youth. The running practice was one to six. One adult for every six youth. And I can remember that at the time I was doing this, my youth director came to me and she said, so if, if our rules are two adults and one to six, is it okay if I let us use three adults and if the ratio is one to four? I mean, wanting to make the retreat even more protected, more adults, more adults per kids, of course you can do these things. I mean, it's only for our protection, right? See, it's in these moments... Where someone asks for more to pile onto the rules, that we realize that there's a different motivation. There's a different idea there. So I smile about it because no one ever asks for more homework, right, teachers? No one ever asks for healthier meals, for the most part. No one ever asks for less screen time. Usually it's the other way around. They're asking for more. Why? 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 And we always have stuck with, I said so, always still the best response. But the motivation when the rules are a guide and people want to do even more is this icing on the cake moment. Which brings us, I'm going somewhere with this, which brings us to today's text. Today's text is one of these kind of icing on the cake moments where Jesus is talking to the disciples. Remember, last week in our text, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, meaning I've come to show you what the law means. So the law, all the rules that the Jews lived by in the Old Testament, he says, I've come to show you what it means. I didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And so today is the first step to where he forges into proving this point. So what Jesus is doing here in the text that we read today is he is calling the disciples and us to a higher, more faithful, more holistic way of living in God's kingdom. A more holistic, more wonderful way of living out the rules. Think about this with me for a moment. Think about the leaders that we have in the world around us. We hold them to a higher standard, don't we? Think about just some of the news that we've seen this week where the state auditor, the one who is responsible for overseeing all of the agencies of the state and the way that things are run, what happened when she broke the rules with a hit-and-run accident. A lot of questions, how can she be? What does this mean? Or the concern that leaders on both sides of the aisle have about classified documents, things that we're supposed to leave in vaults and yet somehow end up not in vaults. See, when our leaders fall short of the rules, there's a scandal because we think, don't they know the rules? Shouldn't they follow them? So Jesus in this text is calling his followers to a higher standard, if you will, a higher sense of understanding what the rules are. So take, for example, with me the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are a set of rules to live by. The first three of them deal with our relationship with God. The next seven deal with our relationships with each other. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees are real good about checking the boxes, sticking to the rules right by the letter, but Jesus says... Don't just look at the letter of the law. Look at the spirit of the law. What is going on behind them? So with this text today, what he's doing is he's, he's using a technique that uh, Amy Jill Levine, the, the New Testament professor at Vanderbilt, calls an extension. He's extending the rule. So four times in our text today, Jesus says, it sort of starts out like this, well, you've heard this, and then what does Jesus say? He says, But I say. Now friends, we should always listen to Jesus. That's first and foremost. We know this. We should always listen. But when Jesus says, but I say, that means really pay attention right here. And so with these extensions, there's two things that are happening. One, he is raising the expectations of how we're supposed to live. The second thing he's doing is he's providing a fence around the law. So think back to my child protection policy example. The law was two adults and a one to six ratio. And my youth director says, can I use three adults and a one to four ratio? So the policy, now those of you that know policies, you know, policies are what you hang your hat on. And once you have a policy, you got to live by it. So the policy was one to, four, one to six and two adults. She wanted three and one to four. Now, the great thing about this is if she started out every retreat, every class with a three adult rule and one of them got sick, guess what? She still protected the policy because she still got two adults. Her practice was more protection. So, what happens with Jesus talking about this, these extensions, they're doing several things. They help us grasp the fullest extent of the law. But they help us be better people because they help us be better prepared to live so that we don't break the law. And provide an example and a change that the world needs. Now before we delve into this, let me really be real clear. Remember, the, the ministry of Jesus is still built on a solid foundation of grace. So there are going to be places where you and I both know as best we live our lives, we're still going to fall short of the extension, falls short of the law. But if we try, that's what we're talking about here. Grace still abounds to us. But Jesus wants us to think in a much broader spectrum in how we relate to each other and how we relate, relate to God, to be more intentional about it. So let's take a look at what he shares with us. In verse 21, he says, You have heard it said to those of ancient times, meaning back in the Old Testament, that you shall not murder, but whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say that you that are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. Now this extension is about anger. The fence is this, that if we avoid anger, more than likely we're going to avoid murder, right? I mean, nobody murders someone that's not angry. So think about our culture. Susanna references in her prayer. Think about all of the gun violence that we are witnessing right now. And 90% of those situations, it is anger that starts this gun violence. The truth is that we know that our world goes from name-calling to anger to violence way too quickly. And Jesus is calling us to go further than not murdering each other. Jesus is calling us to watch our words, to check our anger. This old phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt them. We tell ourselves this to try to not let it affect us. But let's be really clear, those words do affect us. So if we got to check on our anger, if we can learn to hold our anger back from each other, think about the witness that we make for the world. Think about the temperature that we bring down. Think about the violence that we can remove if we just check our anger. That's the witness our world needs from you and me these days. In verse 27, he says, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery in his heart. This extension is about greed, but it's also about the way we look at each other. It's about taking something that doesn't belong to us, it's about desiring the possession that belongs to someone else. The fence is this, that if we do not covet, if we take ourselves out of the equation, then we avoid the situation of sin and adultery and everything else altogether. What Jesus is calling us to do is to see each other not as objects to be obtained, but to see each other as children of God. To see each other as someone's child, son, or daughter, someone's parent, mother, or father, as someone's sibling, brother, or sister, as someone's spouse, husband, or wife. To see each other that, And when we begin to see each other in those categories, how can we break those relationships? How can we damage those people? How can we do that just for our own selfishness? That's what the world needs to see. That we value each other. We value our relationships with each. We value the relationships that people have with each other and that we see each other as human beings. And we park our selfishness and our selfish desires by the wayside. In verse 31, he says, And it was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say that anyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. Let me be really clear, this one is tough for us. This one's really touchy in some cases. But remember, the extension here is about love. The extension here is that marriage is tough work. It's not a contractual relationship. It's a loving relationship. So in the custom of the day, in the Old Testament custom, the custom of the day was this, that there was sort of an agreement signed when, the, when a couple got married between husband and wife that if the man decided to divorce her, that he could do it by a writ of divorce and she would have this contract, if you will, this paper that allowed her certain rights and privileges to protect her until she get married again. And so what happens is marriage becomes a contractual relationship, a business thing, not a loving relationship like God desires for us. So the fence is that, and this caveat, that only in the most untenable situations is divorce allowed. So we look back in the Old Testament, the word that they used there was ervat devar, the phrase ervat devar, meaning that you could get divorced if there was something objectionable in the marriage. The Greek term for that was Pornéia, which has been um, translated by some as pornography, or in this case, in the translation of the text today, sexual morality. But the definition is much broader than that, so don't hang your hat solely on that, because the translation also talks about things that are much along the lines of ervat devar, something objectionable, more along the lines of irreconcilable differences, things in broken relationships. That's what's going on there. And so what happens is Jesus is challenging couples, challenging married couples to focus on a marriage in a way that we live out and model our marriage vows. I mean, the marriage vows that we say in the church would say that it represents the mystical union between Christ and his church. What if, we, what if we worked on our marriages like that? Then there wouldn't be a need for divorce except for in those extreme circumstances in which there is this opportunity, this objectionable behaviors. So in this, what we find is that we find not a prohibition on divorce, not a condemnation of it, but a challenge for couples to work on their marriages to build that loving relationship that Jesus wanted between the church and himself, between human beings, to fully embody the love for all. But that if it doesn't work, the divorce is not to be condemned. And then finally, in verse 33, again, you've heard it said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows that you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all by heaven or by earth. Do not swear by your head. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Friends, the extension here is about truthfulness. The fence is don't take an oath to prove truth, just tell the truth. So one of the things that we know about the English language is we, we, we develop over time, we develop these sort of throwaway phrases that we like just to pepper into our speech. Sometimes we use them as verbal pauses, like, uh, for example, in, um, in my growing up years, it was the ums and the ahs, this generation, it's likes. And for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, if you're a Gen Xer or you raised Gen Xers, if you think Valley Girl And then put that on steroids, you hear the word like, like all, like the time I'm like talking about. You know what I mean? Anyway. But we have those things, but then we also like these colloquialisms such as, I swear if you do blank one more time, I'm going to blank. Now, if you do this with your kids, you know exactly what's going to happen, right? They're going to do it at least one more time, if not all afternoon, and if you tell them, if you do this one more time, I'm going to throw you out in the backyard in the pouring rain, how many of you are really going to do that? Some of you are thinking, what a great idea. We'll talk about that next week. But anyway, my one, the one, that, one of the ones that gets on my nerves is I'm not going to lie to you. When someone starts a conversation with you, I'm not going to lie to you, or let me tell you the truth, I'm thinking, what were you telling me earlier? What were you lying about? So what Jesus is saying here is in dealing with each other, in dealing with God, in dealing with the world, just tell the truth always. If you tell the truth always, you never have to remember the lie. If you tell the truth always, then when you speak, people know that you just speak what? The truth. So these four stories, these four pericopes, Jesus gives us extensions. Jesus is teaching us about taking the rule of law and taking it one step further. Yes, to ensure safety and care and love, but really to build God's kingdom up. To set an example for all the world to see of how God's children should and will live. I think about when we joined the church, we were asked, will you support the church by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness. That word witness is so important to me. Because, friends, how we treat each other makes a difference to each other, but that it makes a difference to the world because the world is watching us. If you think we hold church, I mean, if you think we hold politicians and political and national leaders in a high esteem, What about how the world holds Christians, followers of Christ? When they see us acting in unchristian ways, what do you think they think about what we talk about in here? The kingdom of God matters. And it matters how we treat each other. It matters how we look at the rules, the guide for life, and how we try to live into them to build God's kingdom up. Because the world desperately needs to see you and me living out the gospel. The world desperately needs needs to see us, the congregation, the people of Centenary United Methodist Church, showing the world what church looks like and how church can lead and make a difference. We need to live these extensions Because when we do that, the witness that we show the world is bright. And the world is looking at a city on a hill and see who we follow, whose we are, and what we're about. And that's what he's calling us to do today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen, and amen.